This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today I am delighted to welcome a pair of Shall I say astonishing filmmakers? I think I will. I shall. I shall. A pair of astonishing filmmakers to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Steve J. Adams and Sean Horler. Now, Steve and Sean are the dynamite filmmakers behind Someone Like Me, a feature-length documentary that follows the parallel journeys of Drake, a gay asylum seeker from Uganda, and a group of strangers from Vancouver's queer community who are tasked with supporting his resettlement in Canada. Together, they embark on a year-long quest for personal freedom, revealing how, in a world where one must constantly fight for the right to exist, survival itself becomes a victory. And I will note that Canada is the only nation in the world that has legislation for a refugee program that specifically reaches out to LGBTQ people globally. Because in a lot of places, the consequence of being who you are is imprisonment or death. Now, Sean and Steve have directed and produced more than 20 projects together, including the absolutely delightful and bonkers fun award-winning short, The Day Dawn Died, uh, which played at Hot Docs 2019, and Brunch Queen. They recently completed a series of shorts for Knowledge Network entitled Dear Reader, and their next feature documentary, Satan Wants You, is currently in development with CBC Documentary Channel. Many of their films shine a spotlight on misunderstandings, queer and otherwise. So is someone like me one of those films about misunderstandings? Let's get into that and more in today's episode. Steve, Sean, welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Oh, thanks for having us. Thanks, Sabrina. It's good to see you. <laughs> That's an amazing intro, by the way. Thank you. I know the bar is high. <laughs> I've interviewed you before. I, I know I know that there's probably, even when we are talking about refugees, resettlement in Canada, that we're probably going to, there might be a laugh or two along the way. Um, I am curious a lot. I want to start with that idea about misunderstandings uh, and and the ways in which you're your films explore that topic. Perhaps no better example of that is The Day Dawn Died. And honestly, I'm gonna put a link where you can find a lot more information about that film. It's, was, it's so joyful. Um, but how do you think, like, do you consider someone like me to be one of your films that explores misunderstandings? 
Yeah, I think like a lot of our filmmaking is about, uh, well, people and, and dynamics between people and especially group dynamics. And someone like me is, the core of it is about people working together and how do you figure out how to do that? For sure. Yeah. And, and also like the, the misunderstandings of like what it means to be a refugee and who refugees are, you know, like there there is a lot of kind of just, I don't know. I, I feel like this film contains pieces of that as well. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to hear uh, what kind of ideas uh, and misconceptions did you have about, you know, what refugees face when they come to Canada or the support systems that are, are set up or where private people come together to be supportive? Like, what, what, in what ways did, did, you know, the experience of making this film educate you? Like, I want to know what you learned, basically. That was just a very difficult way of saying, what'd you learn? making this film. We got there, we got we there. We got there. I had a cup of coffee right before we started and it has not yet kicked in. Oi. Um, you know, I, we've thought about this a lot. Um, and I think one of the things that was like most surprising to me was when we first met Drake. Um, and Drake was so in tune with everything uh, in terms of like pop culture. Like we, we share the same music. Um, we shared the same uh, shows on TV. Um, the, the internet, I just didn't realize how globally connected we were through the internet. Yeah. Um, I think you have, I, at least I did, I had stereotypes of what a refugee was when they came to Canada and who they were. And Drake just blew that all apart. I think, like for me, I, I remember when he first arrived uh, in Vancouver and we were fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with him without cameras being involved and just being there to support him on his first few days in the country and driving around in a car with him and he sang every song on the radio. <laughs> Sam Smith especially. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that yeah. is incredible so it's not like you know when I imagine refugees although I have done work with immigrant services society with their you know the, the, their uh, the programs that they do for young you know recently arrived refugees there um, so it's that has challenged also my my point of view but often when I imagine refugees it's like people in you know in just camps you know, um, no access to to water or uh, you know stable food source, and um, and yet it's it can look a lot, as you say, a lot different than you know how we how we other people too, how we stereotype in other people. You know, it's a, we actually have way more in common, you know, than you might than you might think when you when you other the refugee as the refugee right that's, sure absolutely i think another another thing that we learned through this too is that is the first part of this process but when a refugee or an asylum seeker or an immigrant arrives to a new country their problems aren't all fixed just because mm -hmm. they cross the border and arrive here it's like it's not the magic wand solution and they're going to come here and everything's different right from the get-go like that's one thing yeah, that we that I hope really comes across as a takeaway in the film is sort of hopes it helps people mm -hmm. have a sense of empathy for, for sure. asylum seekers and refugees. I also think when we were testing the film, we were just curious. We were asking questions of the um, people who like the test audience and asking them, uh, "How do you think this represented the the refugee community?" 
Um, and a common question is specifically from like Drake's point of view. Um, and a lot of people came back and they were like, you know, after the arrival scene at the airport, I pretty much forgot that he was a refugee and I just saw him as just a, a young kid in Vancouver trying to find his way. Yeah. Yeah. What I found interesting. Wow. We're really going all over the place here and I will come back. We're going to talk about why you wanted to make the film and the process of making it and all of that. But what I found really interesting um, was you know, uh, when he was talking about how we came over here, you know, and it was to escape true persecution for who he was. Um, and he's in Vancouver and that aspect of himself, he feels free. But then he also notes that he has never felt more aware of being a black man and, you know, now he's really keenly attuned to racism. Um, and I know that a lot of the filming that you did was, you know, around the time, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery and Breonna Taylor. Uh, and there were rallies in Vancouver um, and the impact that those had, you know, on him. Can you tell me a little bit more about the kind of the conversations that you had with with Drake about about that, about that, uh, like shifting awareness and maybe some newfound fear, which frankly made me upset that I, cause you know, I, I'd like to think that Canada is a country that, you know, can make people just take a breath and feel safe. But I also know that that's not the reality as a person of color to myself. Like I know not really always the reality. You know, it upset us too. Um, like, I remember uh, Marlon is another character in the film. He is a gay black man uh, from Toronto who moved to Vancouver. Uh, when we were first interviewing him uh, near the beginning stages of the film and asked him, you know, what, what challenges will a newcomer coming to Vancouver experience? And I think at that stage, we understood that it would be someone from Central Africa. And Marlon did not hesitate. The first thing he said was racism before I could even finish the question. Yeah, and then like five months later, we're filming and sure enough, like it happens and like, it's heartbreaking, right? Like you're you're just watching Drake figure out at this whole new side that he didn't know existed. Um, and it, like, he was like super upset about it and just, you could see that it was like challenging for him. Um, yeah. And really, like, all we could do is, like, we could offer support, we could talk to him about it. Um, we really wanted to create, like, as filmmakers, as part of a queer community, we just wanted to create a safe space where he felt comfortable sharing that part of his life with us. And then yeah. it's also a question of consent for us to go back and say, are you sure we can put this in the film? And is this something you're comfortable with people knowing? knowing? Mm -hmm. And we're so glad that he shared that with us. Yeah. Oh, I am too. I mean, otherwise, I mean, it was, it was something that I wasn't even thinking about, you know? Um, I think it's important to, I think it's really important to see represented on screen. Can we go back in time a little bit? I know I've been leading us all over the, the space time continuum here. <laughs> um, what inspired you to begin work on this film? And what kind of film did you set out to make when you first began? Well, that's a tricky question. <laughs> I love it. I love a tricky question. <laughs> um, 
like I, I kind of like the, the genesis of where we started was like very much like I, I think looking inward um, and how I grew up and like hating myself for being gay um, and not being able to relate to the queer community because of just the, the own like my own shit that I was dealing with. Um, and that, that kind of was um, a moment in 2015 when Sean and I were talking and we were looking around and we were like, how, how do we tell a story, a contemporary story about the queer community now? That would also, a story that would help people like look at queer people in a different way and see the whole diversity in our community and help them understand that it isn't just this monolithic group of people who are just queer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially, and it's not a history doc. It's not about like everything else that has happened. It's about like where we are right now and where we're going. Um, and so 2015 is happening. Trump's coming into power. Facebook is literally unhinged. And the anti-immigration and anti-refugee sentiment is everywhere. Yeah. Um, a, a uncle of mine posted a meme saying that refugees made more money than all the aid pensioners when they came here. And we were like, that's false. We called them out on it. Um, and it just kind of got the, the story wheels turning. On the other hand, you're having organizations like Rainbow Refugee that are talking a, a lot about the, the sponsorship process and how they're helping to combat what is happening on, on this other side. And we had friends who had gone through, like you see on Facebook and all these people sharing, oh yeah, I'm doing this. I'm raising money for a newcomer coming to Canada. And we're like, we've always sort of been aware of the organization and mm-hmm. all of the stuff that happened around the US election. We're like, let's really look into this and see how yeah. this works. And then we find out that it's like 10 strangers who come together to raise money and emotionally support somebody for a year who they've never met. And we were like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that actually, that whole aspect, I wasn't even expecting. I guess I saw, I thought I was sitting down to watch a documentary about, oh, here's the refugees come to Canada and I'm gonna watch their journey and apparently have an accent now as I'm watching it. <laughs> <laughs> but what you also get to see is the the experience of this group of people who are united in the belief that they want to help somebody, but they're not united about much else. I mean, we see it, the the circle gets smaller or is turns into a line as as one of their their mothers you know says. And I, I'm curious about like what you what after watching that circle become a line. Um, what qualities do you think an individual needs to possess in order to be a good member of that, you know, sponsorship supportive circle? If, if I can answer this in two parts, one thing that we wanted to share with you is uh, none of the people who are, were in that group that helped sponsor Drake and, and bring him to Vancouver knew each other before we started filming. Hmm. So the very first time they met, was in that first meeting scene in the film. We were already in the room with cameras rolling. They came in and sat down and it was like, oh, hi. Like they were actually genuinely complete strangers. And yeah. to do, like, if you think from like your perspective or our perspective, a group work for one thing. So you're gonna work with 12 people. You are not gonna get along with everybody. It's like almost a guarantee. I hate group work. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I run my own business. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I can't even imagine. Oh. oh. Then on top of that, it's a it's a fairly stressful situation. And then on one more layer, you throw cameras in there. So I mean, it 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 is stressful, and it's 
yeah, it's it's a tricky thing to navigate when it's all happening and it's coming rapid fire and everybody's just trying to figure things out. And I think it's like one positive thing from this, even though people did like, they are real people with real jobs. Mm -hmm. the, the pandemic happened. It's sort of like everyone had the capacity for how much they could contribute. But every single one of those people contributed and mm -hmm. a ton of people off camera contributed too. And the, the end result is that they got Drake here. So yeah. it is all worthwhile. Yeah. And Shit. It was Drake says, it happens. <laughs> Things fall apart. <laughs> and I think some of the quality is like when you're asking, hey, if, you, if you're thinking of doing this, I mean, you'd be surprised, A, how many people in your community, your neighbors, your friends have done this already all across Canada. Yeah. It is such a Canadian thing to do the sponsorship and help people come here. Yeah. Um, some qualities that I would say is like, if you, are you capable of working with other people, even if you disagree with them? Can you find consensus even if you don't like the group decision? That's mm -hmm. really important. Can you show up for somebody day after day without judgment? Also really important. Mm -hmm. And then can you respect somebody's autonomy? So if they make decisions that you don't appreciate or don't like or doesn't fit with your worldview, can you just put that aside and be like, I'm here for you? Mm, that's hard. Really dealing with those kind of questions in my parenting right now. Um, all for you. <laughs> <laughs> Autonomy is important and that breeds confidence. Um, how do you think like the circle, the line, the group, like what, what is success for them? Like if they're looking at is was this an, a successful exercise or a successful effort to, you know, to bring Drake over? Like, are, like do, do they consider that this was a success? I think everybody kind of has mixed feelings about it. I mean, the pandemic like really fucked everything up and it's- fuck, Can we just take a moment to just say, fuck the pandemic, <laughs> fuck it. Just it from top to bottom it fucked everything up i'm in my kitchen right now talking to you we could be in my studio fuck the pandemic i support that here, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because right when you started so when when you began like it was july. before the pan it was july mm -hmm. okay and we were rolling. We were yeah. like, we we were finding our feet. Like March was coming around and like everything was coming together for us. We were getting really great footage. And then all of a sudden it was like, stop. And we had to like quickly figure out how to continue filming uh, in a safe way. And you yeah. also just, for Drake too, it is it is like he is this, as soon as he arrived, you find out that he's a fashion designer. He has this whole video blogging presence online from yeah. his work in Africa, his Instagram, like all these, like he is such a vibrant, beautiful man, full of dreams and, and hopes. And Perfect for a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then to watch him he has all these expectations for showing up here and what his new life is going to be and all of that is turned upside down mm -hmm. yeah fuck the pandemic <laughs> fuck the pandemic that's right was there anything in what drake faced um or you know when he arrived in Canada and was, you know, really navigating through, was there anything about his experience that surprised you at all? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. I'd like to have at least one. Yeah. That was the one. You have many. 
Greg was just so like he was he was so quick here and it was just like I don't know you know one of the things that did surprise me you sort of like at least for us I mean we're older gays who have you know we've been out for a long time (laughs) Steve's looking shocked when I say that but come on dare you call me an older gay (laughs) (laughs) I think during the first week we took Drake to Davy Street for the first time. Mm-hmm. I think I, if, if you've been out for a significant amount of time or you're already familiar with the queer community, you've been to a pride parade, you've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. But for him to take him to that street and he saw two people, two men holding hands in public and he was blown away. And then you yeah. just sort of forget the freedoms and, mm-hmm. and what we have in Canada. And it's a good, it's a good thing in many ways. And yes, there's still work to be done in other parts, but... Yeah. That was, it helped us see our own country in a new way, for well, sure. that's good. Because in Uganda, I'm assuming gay men are not holding hands no, at all. I, I mean, there's a lot of activists and there's a lot of people who are fighting against it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I found like so cool about Drake is like, he is just like, he is in his queerness and he, he lives it. And I asked him when he came out and he was like, uh, I'm not sure I've ever been in the closet. And so, like, he was living his life in Uganda. Like, he was he was him and being true to himself. And I, like, like respect, right? Yeah. That's an incredible thing to do. Yeah. So how is, how is he now? I mean, I know that the end of the film has, a, has some words about, about where he was. But I don't know if, if – is there anything new to report? Uh, I don't know. I'm just hoping that people are, like, really living their lives in the pandemic, even if I'm not. Like, I just want, I don't know, I just want Drake to be happy. Tell me Drake's happy. Is he happy? I, I think he's, I think he's happy. I think he's working through it. I think he's living his life, living his French vanilla fantasy. Dating, yeah. working, yeah. Oh. young in the city. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Um, what were some of your most memorable moments from filming? Hmm. This is like, I mean, this is a little bit more process-based. Part, part of this whole film, um, not only did we work with a complete group of strangers that didn't know each other in the first place, uh, when we started production, we didn't know uh, who the newcomer would be, uh, mm-hmm. what part in the world of the world they'd be coming from. There's, we didn't know anybody in the circle. Yeah, we didn't know anybody in the circle, but like for, it could have been in terms of the person coming who they're sponsoring, there's 70 countries around the world where it's either illegal or you the death penalty for being gay. So, 70 countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of the other surprising thing in the moment in the film when uh, Adam from Rainbow Refugee says they can only help one out of every 100 cases it sort of gives you perspective perspective on when you're talking about outcomes and you know, are people, <laughs> is this a success story? Yes, it is w- viewed in that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another t- takeaway is like anybody, I hope if they watch the film, anybody can do this in Canada. Right. Right. And when you're looking at the refugee crisis or the persecution of queer people around the world, this is like those issues are so huge and overwhelming and it feels like you can't do anything yeah in canada you can you one person can do something that moves the needle yeah incredible um how do you think the process of making this film has changed you as filmmakers oh god 
<laughs> oh God. I thought she was gonna have a good question. <laughs> What's this other kind of question? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I knew there'd be a laugh or two. I knew there'd be a laugh or two. That's good. This one I like it has it has taught us so much about film. I mean, like the process for it was really crazy. Like Monday we would start, we would kind of, we knew through our research what would happen typically during, like for the duration of the year. So we knew like they would do fundraising, they would have to get a driver's license. Like there was all these like tentpole activities that the subjects would have to do. Um, so each like Monday, the start of the week, we would get into the production office we would kind of talk about what's going to happen. We'd check everybody's schedules, lots of texting, lots of calling. We'd figure out who might be available. Mm -hmm. By Wednesday, we'd begin to plan out what we would shoot. Thursday, we'd try to confirm crew. Friday, we'd prep. Saturday, Sunday, we'd film. And then Monday, we'd start all over again. Wow. So it was just like constant going out. And I would get super frustrated because I'm like, Sean, we're not getting anything. We're not getting what we need. And so I was like, just give into the process. Yeah. Perfect. Just go with it. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that, trust your instincts is huge. One thing with also with Drake coming, um, if it wasn't Drake and somebody else, we could not ask them to participate in the film um, before hmm. they arrived, and nor could we ask them when they arrived. They, we just had to keep filming with the sponsors. Mm -hmm. And if they approached us to participate, then, then we could say, okay, yeah, let's do this. But there was a chance for us that whoever came, including Drake, would have said, no, I don't want to be part of the film. And we would have had a film without sort of the central character participating. That's so stressful. Right? Why do you think my hair is gray? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, there's a lot of, t I, I guess you've learned a lot about trusting your instincts, mm -hmm. you know, and trusting the process. Yeah. Right. I I'm assuming something good. Gray hair looks great. I mean, that's <laughs> come out of it. How do you want people to feel at the, you know, once the credits are rolling on your film? Yeah, this is tricky. I, I, I want people to feel like happy and that there might be a path for them to, to make change uh, in the world. But like, I also think that, like, there's issues at home, um, and not everything's perfect. And there's, there's also, like, there, there is work that we need to do here to make it a, a better, more equitable society. Um, and, I, and I hope that comes through at the end. We don't want them to boo. So hopefully they say they like the film. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for at the end. <laughs> No booing. <laughs> no booing. No booing. Okay. That's um, a lot of confidence there. It's what we, what we like to see. Um, so you are releasing your film. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a global pandemic going on. You, you, you shot a lot of it during a pandemic. You did all your posts and everything in a pandemic. And now you're releasing the film in the midst of a, of a pandemic. How do you think this... Um, I mean, and there are benefits and there are, you know, downsides, right? So let's start with the good things. What are some of the good things about releasing your documentary during a pandemic? I, I think that one of the, the cool things is that it's actually changing how uh, film festivals are. You know, before yeah. it was like you could only go into a theater, but now all of a sudden they've had to advance and there's going to be a streaming aspect as well as the in-theater aspect in the future. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think that uh, like our premiere is at Hot Docs on the 29th. Uh, we're also playing at Doxa in Vancouver. A lot of these festivals have, in the case of Hot Docs, has opened it up for streaming across Canada, which is awesome if it's you fantastic. are in a small community, right? A, yeah. a small community that doesn't have a film festival and want to see these films. And Doxa is province-wide. BC-wide. So, I mean, Steve's from Fort St. James. Could you imagine having the opportunity to watch films like this when you were totally and have the exposure to it? It's it's huge. Um, I, I think that good will come out of it. It's unfortunate. I mean, we're missing out on a, a ton of a, a ton of stuff, but it is what it is. I mean, we can't change it. We just have to make the best of it, and we're doing it. Steve J. Adams, Sean Horler, where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on all the social meds? Find us on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. With our names. Yep. Um, SeanandSteve.ca is our website. Check it out. Film is out April 29th. We want everybody to vote for us. We want to win an award for everybody that's in the film. Yep. Support BC Film. Help make it happen at Hot Docs. We're so grateful. Yeah. This is great. (laughs) Well, we will make sure that people vote. I will make sure. It is now a mission of mine. The coffee has absolutely kicked in because really I'm kicking full of fire now. right now. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Steve. Thank you to our listeners. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. And like five stars, no less. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene. The YVS Green Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mira Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger Davile, for the original music. YVS Green Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene and cut this ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of hollywood north history the fish flight in the 1980s the fish flight was an early morning flight from vancouver that delivered fresh fish to los angeles before the start of the business day These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.